A reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 5 in the New American Standard Bible. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without costs. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know and a nation which knows not which knows you not will run to you because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. A reading from the book of Psalms, chapter 119, verses 73 through 80, the New American Standard Bible. Your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. I know, O oh Lord, that your judgments are righteous and, in, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Oh, may your loving kindness comfort me according to your word to your servant. May your compassion come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. May the arrogant be ashamed for they subvert me with a lie but I shall meditate on your precepts. May those who fear you turn to me, even those who know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes so that I will not be ashamed. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21 in the New American Standard Bible. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. 
They picked up what was left. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. I remember having a thought this morning uh, as I was finding out that I was preaching at 7.30, which isn't a problem because as Christians, we're actually called to be problem solvers, and that's a little bit of what I want to talk about this morning. Um, As I switch some things around real quick. So, if you don't know, we have our midweek Wednesday service here at 7 p.m. Everybody should have an outline with them, Um, and it's the exact same outline I used on Wednesday, uh, which is probably a little hard to follow since it's mostly just my thoughts jotted down on paper with bullet points, and I talk with them. But really what we want to do on Wednesdays is help everybody... Um, in a systematic way, understand scripture more deeply, and we go through our scripture readings for the week, which are Genesis, Psalm 17, Isaiah 55, Psalm 145, Psalm 119, Romans 9, and Matthew 14 in 30 minutes. We don't normally get to all of them. Actually, not normally, we never get to all of them. So we're going to be focusing today and a little bit of a, so I already taught on most of this material on Wednesday, and we're just going to go and look at it in a little bit different light. Um, one of the things I really encourage everybody, or maybe exhort is a better term, um, 2 Peter 4.2 says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season with complete patience, and it says rebuke, reprove, and teach with complete patience and teaching. So, Anybody should be able to come up here. I can hand Daniel the word or Kyle, anybody uh, should be able to come up and, and be able to preach on the word. Or if we gave you this outline, said, hey, teach on Genesis 32, 22 through 31, you should be able to come up here and say, okay, well, let me read it. Give me five minutes and I'll have you a sermon ready. <laughs> that, is, that really is the expectation. And to some degree, that's what he says. That's what he says to Timothy. He was an elder of a church, right? So, well, you might say that's just to the elders. But uh, I'm just going to exhort you in this real quick before we continue. Um, 2 Peter 2.2, which I should have memorized. But for the sake of... Accuracy, Second Peter two two, which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Right. So that doesn't. That's Paul. Did I say first Tim? Oh, I'm sorry. Second Timothy two two. It would be helpful if I was that accurate. Second Timothy two two. Paul speaking, saying, and what you have heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses. Right, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, uh, faithful men, faithful people, that's all. Right? You should be able to teach from the Word. And so as we get into this, the only scripture reading that we didn't have up there and read today was Genesis 32, uh, 22 through 31. It's about Jacob wrestling with God. Um, and 
those are the bullet points on other things. You can use that throughout the week. The idea is the scripture readings go through a three-year cycle. So at the very least in three years, you should have somewhat more of a comprehensive understanding view of what the whole Bible says and the main themes. So the exhortation is teaching, 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 know the word, right? Because when we get into Genesis, uh, I won't read the whole thing, but I just, hopefully if you grew up in some kind of Christian background or if you've been a Christian more than uh, a year or something, you've read this and you know this passage where, where Jacob wrestles with God. So I'm just going to recapitulate the story and point out some of the verses. You can flip there in Genesis 32 if you like. So Jacob was alone. He's in a desolate place. He's coming back to the land. He's going to meet Esau. He seems a little apprehensive to meet his brother, who he stole the birthright from. And he's been on this long journey. He sends his wife, his children, everybody across the river. And now Jacob is alone in a, in a, uh, in a desert, in a desolate place, right? This theme comes across a lot of, a lot of places in scripture. And it's nighttime, and this guy comes up and starts wrestling with him, right? It happens all the time. I'm just at home. People come to my house and wrestle. <laughs> no, this, this should point, like, when you're reading Scripture, this should be like, wow, this is, who is this guy? Where is he coming from? Um, and so he starts wrestling with Jacob, and he's wrestling in the night. He wrestles for a time period, and it's Jacob who's prevailing. It's not the man. It's Jacob who's wrestling and prevailing. And the man says, let me go right? Because the dawn is coming. And essentially, I talked about this a little bit on Wednesday, uh, the man who will find out who is, who is God. Uh, the man saying, even though Jacob is prevailing and wrestling with him, the man's kind of saying, it's daybreak. It's time. I got to get going. Thanks for the wrestle, <laughs> right? Uh, it's not hard for the man, right? Because then he touches his, his hip socket and, and Jacob is injured with just a touch. He doesn't uh, for those who are into any fighting techniques, he doesn't say he uses any sort of form uh, or maneuver or an armbar or something. He just touches his socket. And he's like, I got to go. It's daybreak. I got business to attend to. Thanks. Right? And so Jacob's still not relenting and um, to a certain point. And uh, the man asked him his name. It's Jacob. And he says, no longer, uh, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed, right? Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. And he doesn't tell him his name, right? We talked about a couple weeks ago, who is, who is Genesis written to? For those of you who were at Wednesday, you already know the answer. And very contextually, the Jews in the wilderness in Israel, right? Moses is writing it. When did they get God's name? Yahweh, they get the Tetragrammaton. The burning bush, just prior, within that generation. So you could start to see and imagine, Jacob's like, I want to know your name. We just say Elohim. But that's the name everybody uses for their God. We don't know, what do I call you? I want to know you deeper, right? And so God's like, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> You're not going to know yet. Um, but he changes his name. And Jacob then says, I've seen God face to face yet my life has been preserved. So, you know, what we're trying to do, if you look at the first bullet point, is that Christocentric, Christotelic themes is that when Jesus says in John 5, 39, to the Pharisees who knew the word 
the Old Testament scriptures more than we do. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but it is these, these scriptures that testify about me. I mentioned this every week. We're talking about how do we see Christ in all of the Old Testament and all of the Bible and um, look at Matthew two fifteen, where Jesus identifies himself as the true, I'm sorry, the, Matthew identifies Jesus as the true Israel, quoting Hosea 11, 1, and we see later, even in this reading, um, that we won't really get into, that Romans is also the new Israel, right? We see that, that you know, in Romans 9, it says that although not all of those who are sons of Abraham are really sons, and not all those who are born of Israel of the flesh are true Israel. So, I want to kind of bring out in that um, when we're talking about teaching that that Jesus is our model. We all say that. We all know that. We kind of like if we've been in church or, you know, evangelical culture, we, we say these things, but how deep do they go? So when we're wrestling with God, like what does that look like? Where do we see Jesus in the wilderness, in a desolate place? You guys can talk. Matthew 4, right? The, uh, the temptation in the wilderness, right? right? There's a desolate place, the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and even in our gospel reading, you know, he was going out into a desolate place to be alone, but the people wouldn't leave him alone. <laughs> that happened often, right? So um, I just want to look at a little bit. We'll get to the gospel reading um, in a minute. But in, I want to talk a little bit about Psalm 119 and the idea of wrestling with God and knowing the law. And um, if you were here on Wednesday, I think most of the people who were here probably are serving. So a lot of this is going to be uh, at least newer for, for everybody. So um, Psalm 119, we're looking at verses 73 to 80. And specifically in verse 73, give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. So what are the commandments? What's the recapitulation? What's the summary of the command? All of the commandments, the 10 commandments, right? Uh, I talk about this quite frequently and I hope everybody takes this seriously. I think it's really important that everybody should know at least a summary version of the 10 commandments. When I was teaching at Wright State a few years ago, we got to a point to say, you know, after like 8, 10, 15 weeks on the Ten Commandments, if you don't have them memorized, you're wasting your time. Just go home and memorize them and know them, and that will uh, help you to understand them deeper if you have them on your mind on how to understand at least a summary of, of God's law. So one of the reasons why, you know, I think as, as we have this model of, of Jesus like in the wilderness, a lot of times in, I think if you put the gospel account of Matthew and Luke together, you know, before Jesus goes out and then has the Sermon on the Mound in Matthew 5, uh, if I'm remembering, I think you have to put the Luke um, account in there, is that before he's choosing his disciples, before he's going out and preaching all day, what does Jesus do? He goes up to a mountain to pray, right? At night, alone a desolate place. Um, if you read, I, I really like John Gill's commentary. You can find it online for free. He has uh, at least a commentary on every verse in the entire Bible, uh, even if it's just explaining like, you know, very simple things like this is who this person is talking to and whatever. It helps to you to filter it in your mind. Um, 
But he, I mean, it's very clear how he brings it out, and you can kind of study that further, is that, you know, we're not like actually physically wrestling like Jacob wrestled, right? Has anybody, has a pre-incarnate figure of Christ come down and wrestled with you at night? I don't think so. Uh, if you do, <laughs> please talk to somebody afterwards. Um, but you see Jesus' model of being in the wilderness. We're supposed to read scripture, see these things, right, and then identify them later. And Jesus, when he says, you know, you, tell, you tear down this temple, you know, I'll rebuild it in three days, the Jews misunderstood it. He's talking about him being the temple, right, the model, all of those eight or so chapters in Exodus of, that we've been talking about on Sundays of build it in the prescribed way. When you read that, you should be like, oh, this is a, a figure of Christ, the temple, with all of these prescribed ways and doing it exactly as the Lord has commanded, and in this order, and this many things, with this material, right? Jesus fulfilled that. He is the temple. He's the prescribed way. Look at how he's doing it. So we can interpret those things of when Jesus is in a desolate place, praying, you know, and doing these things, he's wrestling with God, especially that comes to light in the garden of, of Gethsemane, where, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever felt this, um, but my will isn't the Lord's will. Have you guys ever, has the Lord ever had like one way and you've had another way? And you maybe had to say, not my will be done, but your will be done, right? Um, before we get into Psalm 119, just one more kind of anecdotal, just to like, you know, exhort, like, uh, we grow in the Lord and we um, mature in certain ways. And this is just my, what I enjoy the most when the Lord, uh, I remember living at Sydney's house, you know, with a couple other brothers and uh, had a little bit more extra time and private time. And, you know, there'd be times where I wasn't feeling the presence of the Lord. And I knew that, like, what's the point of life if I, if I don't have the Lord's presence and I uh, don't know his closeness and um, if I'm not understanding his will and deeper things in scripture and like, what is the point of even going on and taking times to just read scripture, meditate, be in my quiet place and cry out to God of like in Exodus 33, why would I keep on going if you're not with me? If I'm not going where you're going and doing what you're doing, then what am I doing with my life? And uh, I could think of just a couple instances in my life where the Lord really delivered that, um, and and because He did, He does. So let's look at Psalm one nineteen, verse seventy three. Give me understanding that I may learn Your commandments. And let's might as well throw in verse seventy eight. But I shall meditate at least the second half. No, that is all of. Oh, the second half of verse 78. But I shall meditate on your precepts. So, like I was saying, we as Christians are called to be problem solvers. We're called to be the light of the world and all these things. And unfortunately, what we've gotten into is too much of secular humanism and modernism in our own lives and in our churches to where um, we start solving problems in different ways. So, Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8 real quick. And just, if you guys don't understand the importance of the law and meditating on the commandments and precepts, let's just look at this real quick. Uh, if you're not familiar with the background of 1 Corinthians and what the city was like and how new the church was and different than the culture, 
do some studying up on that. We should be very acquainted with 1 Corinthians. So chapter 6, 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 1. When one of you has a grievance amongst another, or against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brothers go to law against brothers and, and before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Right? So we're called to be a people you know, bring this in with like, we should understand the commandments, the precepts, the law of God. We should be wrestling with God so much that when someone has a problem, you know, we should be able to say, hey, first of all, there shouldn't be disputes. <laughs> That's already a problem, right? We should already, you know, we're called to be people who have wrestled with God and know the law and, you know, but we do have those provisions in the church because the Lord has compassion on us that we can go to one another, Right? It says inside the church, who, why would we go to the wisdom of the world? Why would we go anywhere else? Why would we not be able to say, well, let's look in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Exodus and, you know, um, find out what we're supposed to do in this dispute? Right? So uh, that's who we're called to be, right? So when you say meditating on your precepts, um, I brought out on on Wednesday, uh, about like if you're, I think it's Exodus 23 that talks about if your enemy, his ox goes astray, it very specifically says that we're, you know, we're not supposed to say, oh, that's my enemy's ox, good for him, hope he gets lost, I hope his property gets killed or stolen and he loses income because he's a jerk, right? It doesn't say that. It says if your enemy's ox goes astray, you're supposed to return it to your enemy, Right? That's the law. That seems like good on paper, <laughs> at least to me. Right? And then the next verse, I think this is chapter 23, verses 4 or 6. Uh, and then it says, if the one who hates you is under the burden of his ox, you're supposed to go and help them and free them. Right? Not, oh, look at that. God's getting them. I see them. God's got his finger on them. No, the law doesn't say that. Right? We are supposed to heap burning coals on people's heads with kindness. <laughs> I like to cut that verse a little short and get my coals ready, but but that's the law. We should know that. But you know, I don't see I don't see people's oxes on the streets laying down and lost and things. Right? We have to have a, a understanding, we have to wrestle with God, we have to meditate on these precepts um, in order to understand them that we would uh be a people who knows God and has lost so much uh, that we would act accordingly. So I want to just bring out something very practically in Deuteronomy 24, verse 10. I'm not going to answer this question, but I'm going to ask a question and see if you guys can figure it out. And you don't have to say this out loud, but 
Um, just so just think about this. This is Deuteronomy. This is part of the law. Deuteronomy 24.10. When you make... Uh, when you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect the pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, and he may sleep in his cloak and bless you, and it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God." So just think about this. Just kind of go through this own mental process of meditating on the statutes. Why do you stand outside? Right? We've had instances in this church where we loan people money. There's, that's a valid thing. Right? And why, do you, why does it say don't go inside to, to get the pledge? If he's repaying you, stand outside the house. What's that? That's one of the answers. That's part of it. Yeah. But meditate on these things, know these things, read the law, meditate on these, and wrestle with God. There's so many things, wondrous things in Scripture, that, that we are called to be people of understanding. So wrestle with the Lord. Um, right? We're called to judge the world. I don't think that's an end times uh, dilemma that sometime in the future, when Christ comes back, that. Uh, we'll have some supernatural spiritual wisdom that God gives us when Jesus comes back, and then we'll judge the world. Uh, we're called to make disciples of nations uh, and judge accordingly. So in um, Matthew twenty three twenty three, Jesus talks to the scribes and uh, is saying, you tie the cumin and mint and dill, all these things you ought to have done, you, have not, you should not neglect, but you neglected the weightier things of the law, which are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So look through these things, meditate on scripture, wrestle with God on, on how do we understand the law of Jesus's interpretation of these are the deeper things that says justice, mercy, how is the law merciful? How is it faithfulness, right? So real quick, one more, because Jesus liked Deuteronomy, I do too. Uh, let's go to Deuteronomy 4.6. I, I, I just really want to tie this in with the calling of, of preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. We're called to be a church who knows the word deeply um, and then can teach accordingly. So Deuteronomy 4.6, really read, this is right before the second giving of the Ten Commandments, but... Um, Read the whole section, but just verse 6 says, according to the commandments and statutes, keep them and do them, for this will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. Right? How, I don't work a normal job. I work here, uh, so I don't have those water cooler moments as, as most people do. Uh, I used to work a normal job. and But it's a common theme in the world, or just in workplace, not even in the world, just everywhere, of people gather, they work, they talk, they talk about their problems and everything, right? They're not always looking for a solution. They just sometimes just want to air grievances, and that's part of the human condition. But are we a people who's prepared when... You know, just think about this like evangelistically as you're going, you know, to and fro in, in work and life. Of Are we prepared evangelistically when people are asking for advice and asking for wisdom of, 
oh, well, what would you do? And uh, do we know the word of the Lord so well that we could actually give them sound wisdom? Or are we saying, yeah, I hate that guy too. Like, <laughs> hope that happens. Uh, right? Or what, you know, have we wrestled with God in such a way that, and operating in such a way that we understand the commandments and the statutes and we are the wisdom for the land, right? Uh, one thing I just want to mention and go over before we go to our gospel reading. Um, actually, let's go to our gospel reading. Um, is kind of so we're going to look at Jesus's model of discipleship and um, how he's how I want to kind of tie this in is first off we talked about this moment. What was Jesus's main thrust of ministry? Teaching, right? He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he did miracles, but his main thrust was teaching. So, you know, as Christ, as our, as our Lord and our model, you know, when he says, go and make disciples of all nations, you have to think about that. How did Jesus make disciples, right? And so when he's going out, he's going out, he's trying to find rest. And what does he do? What happens? The people follow him. Thousands of people follow him. I don't know if you guys have ever had a long day, and the only thing I can, closest thing I can think to is maybe like Nathan coming home, and tons of kids are meeting him, and he's just tired. But what, he has compassion on them, right? He doesn't send them away, right? I've been reading through Matthew in my private time, and it's constantly saying that Christ is having compassion on them. People who are, you know, wanting their sick healed, you know, and, and various things and who are demon oppressed of Jesus is never turning them away. Not once. Even thousands of people. So uh so he ministers to them. He's healing their sick, right, in verse fourteen. And as such is the case with the disciples, in verse fifteen, when he, and when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is ready is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves, right? That's a common theme, at least in my life, is, uh, all right, we're done. Lock the doors. Let's get out of the church. I got stuff to do. Let's go home, right? We quit this ministry business. Um, but, you know, consider these things. Like Jesus' compassion, he was already tired. He has already been traveling, and thousands of people come to him, and he preaches all day, and he teaches all day, right? That's why Second Peter 2 says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, reprove, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, right? Have compassion on them. Help them understand. We have to understand. We have to wrestle with God and have that depth of understanding, right? And so the disciples are saying, send them away. And what's Jesus' model? You give them something to eat. What do you mean, Jesus? We got like five loaves and two fish. What are we going to do? <laughs> right? And so, you know, there's very specific things in Scripture that the Gospels uh, enlighten. And he doesn't say, okay, well, just watch this. Hold on. I'm going to show you guys something cool. Right? He says, no. His first thing is you give them something. Why did we bring these people out here? Why did we minister to them all day to send them away? Why, why are we doing this, disciples? Right? He's teaching them in the same, at the same moment. 
that you're going to feed them. You should be prepared to feed them, right? Everybody in this room should be prepared to feed someone who's hungry. <laughs> so that's what we're called to do. And uh, much like my own life, I would complain and say, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't have those means. And so, um, you know, Jesus multiplies them. He has them sit down. You know, my way of thinking about this, I kind of talked about this a little bit on Wednesday, is this is not the most effective way to feed 5,000 people with women and children. He apparently had not known about the assembly line and how to get them ordered, ordered in a single line, grab a packet, and send them on their way, right? That's not Jesus' mind. That's not his model. That's not his mindset. Sit down. Let's fellowship. Let's eat a meal, right? Slow it down. So what's he do? He gives the bread to the disciples. Jesus doesn't pass it out, right? He gives it to the disciples because he's saying, you will feed them. You be ready. He breaks the bread in front of them, right? This reminds me of Nehemiah 8. I'm going to turn there real quick. Uh, and I'll just read Nehemiah 8, verse 8. If you're not familiar with Nehemiah and Ezra, the rebuilding of the temple and the things that go on, I love Nehemiah 8. Read the whole chapter. He's standing on his soapbox. He's, he's built a podium. He reads the law in front of the people. And then Nehemiah um, with Ezra, they assign people to uh, smaller groups. And Nehemiah 8.8 8 says, they read from the book, the, from the law of God clearly, or that also says, or with interpretation, um, or to give understanding, so, they may, so that they gave the sense so that the people understood their reading, right? That's why we do the scripture readings and do the Wednesdays, so that you would understand, wrestle with God, meditate on those things, gain understanding, right? That's Jesus' exact model right? You give them something to eat. Sit the people down. Let's, he's teaching. He's showing. He's, uh, he is being the model, right? Same thing happens in Acts 6, right? Uh, there's too many things going on. The church is growing. The apostles uh, and disciples, the, well, just the apostles, is getting too much for them to distribute the bread, right? We've got a real problem. What do we do? Well, let's form an assembly line and let's make it so that everybody can get through and that the widows and the children can come through nice and they can grab their little sacks and we can send them home and they could eat there because that's cleaner. We don't even, we would eliminate cleanup. It'd be great, right? No, that's not what they did. What did the apostles did the same thing. Let's assign people. Let's feed them. Let's sit down and fellowship, right? We follow the same model. So they had a very good understanding of of what was going on. So, um, I forget what chapter in Matthew I was reading in, that this is the 5,000, and then Jesus feeds the 4,000 again, uh, feeds 4,000 again, um, to, and the disciples have the same conundrum, right? Where are we going to find bread? What are we going to do? Right? Did you not get it the first time? Uh, is almost Jesus' response but he's always helping them to understand and he's showing them. And the point of the parables, the point of Jesus' ministry, his teaching, 
day and night, his wrestling with God, his helping the disciples to understand is, is one of his primary ministries, right? And what we're called to do, what I want to call us and exhort us, taking that Second Timothy passage, is, is with patience, teaching, wrestle with God, study scripture. If you don't understand something, Sure, do some research, but we've got plenty of, of well-qualified people here in the church uh, to help you, right? That's our model as a church. That's what we want to do. We want to feed, and we want everyone to be of one mind, of like spirit, uh, to be prepared, right? Because we live in a fallen world, and more things, uh, I was contemplating going into the verse and doing a whole sermon on the verse in Hebrews, where it talks about we're in a kingdom that's not shake, not unshakable, an unshakable kingdom. We're part of that kingdom. And that's a, something that God is, a principle that he's always using. He's always shaking things up individually in your lives that isn't submitted to the lordship of, of Christ and into his kingdom. He's always going to shake those things up because he wants to be lord of everything. But we currently live in a time where globally he's doing a lot of shaking. And guess what's going to prevail? the kingdom of God, and everything that's submitted to the lordship of Christ. And we are the answer and we're the solution. Wrestle with God in your quiet place. Gain understanding. Uh, learn from the Lord. Learn from his word. Learn from good teachers. And go out and feed others also. So let me pray, and then I think Catherine's going to come up for our communion meditation. Lord, we pray and... Uh, we ask that you would help us to understand your word, that you would give us right understanding, that we wouldn't just go through spiritual disciplines and the day-to-day -day without knowing what you're doing. Lord, we pray as we sung that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be pleasing to you. Lord, give us a portion of your Holy Spirit to write the law on our hearts and on our minds that we would uh, love you, honor you, obey you with every aspect of our being, and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen.